Hello church. We're going to be in Luke 24 today and uh, it's really going to be the very last message on the book of Luke. We've been there three years. I looked it up today and saw that it started in 2017 and uh, this 2023 years. I thought it might be more than that. But anyway, it has been a tremendous pleasure go through God's Word in the book of Luke. We will uh, be starting the book of Revelation starting next week. So it's kind of timely, I guess, and we'll bring in some things. Well, I was thinking about that for our Tuesday night study, but that won't do you any good. So we'll figure out somehow. I'd love to go through that with some people, but you know, we can only do a book at a time. <laughs> Maybe two in a week is what we do. Anyway, <clears throat> when you think of Christ, there's many aspects of His life that you think of. You go back to Luke, the very beginning, you get the birth of Christ. Everybody knows that Christmas story, right? Then you get the life of Christ involving His ministry, His miracles, his preaching and teaching. And what we've been studying on the last several weeks, which is the heart of the Gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And that's what we think of as Christians. And well, we should. We should be thinking that all the time, right? But there is a, another important aspect to Christ that is failed to be mentioned at least in that list that I just gave you. And it is called the Ascension of Christ, which has been very much forgotten by Christians. And it's a crowning point of Christ's life, isn't it? The Ascension of Christ. Luke is the one who is given the sole privilege of writing about the Ascension. When Christ goes from earth to heaven in a visible, physical way. When you think about it, that's very incredible, isn't it? Uh, Luke mentions the ascension twice. <clears throat> Once at the end of Luke, which is right here today, and then in the book of Acts. He starts with that in the, well, the first chapter, and a few verses in Luke one, Acts 1 you will get the account of the ascension. We don't get a whole lot. I would like to see a lot more about it, actually. But, you know, um, Luke tells the story of Christ on earth. Acts, which is another book that he wrote, tells a story of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then, that great commission that the Lord gave to the apostles and disciples and the whole church for 2,000 years now and right up to our time, it's about taking this gospel to the lost people, to the world. And so you have two overlapping histories that Luke has. They're interlocking. And as he ends the gospel, he will then start up the book of Acts, which is a continuation of what the church did with that gospel that was commanded by Jesus to give to them 
So the ascension ends in Luke and starts in Acts. And comes we come to the culminating end of one history and then you have an inaugural beginning of another history. This is the most, almost miraculous event. I won't say the most. Yeah, the resurrection, yeah, that crucifixion and everything, but this is right along with it. Because if you don't have the ascension, we don't have any guarantee of him coming back or I mean, where's he at, right? I wish we had a little bit more to talk about, but there are some passages that we will go to that will help us today. I'll tell you what, the details in here which are missing Yet, we have enough details that I think that are just staggering. It's a stunning miracle, this ascension, which we fail to talk about. Have you noticed that? How often do we talk about the ascension? We do, but not enough. In the text that we're going to be at today, it's uh, culminating uh, to the very end here. And what we have is enough to get excited of what happens to Christ as He parts from the apostles and is carried into heaven with God the Father. So what we're going to do is open our Bibles. We have three verses to read here today. Let's stand. And uh, let's see what God has to say about the ascension. Verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Let's pray. Father, You are an awesome God. And as we see the close of this Gospel, we see the apostles excited over a miraculous event. And then also what was going to happen to their lives as they wait for the Holy Spirit to come so they can proclaim the best news ever. Lord, help us get this ascension into our heads how important it is what it means to us, what it means to the Gospel story. And we are here to praise You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we start off with the blessing. Jesus is going to give a blessing here to the apostles. This section is going to start near the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is... There's a ravine that goes down from Jerusalem from the the eastern wall. And then you you ascend up and there's the Mount of Olives. And just over that peak is a town of Bethany. It says, and he led them out as far as Bethany. That's where he's going to go to ascend. He's been there many times. He's very familiar with this little, little village called Bethany. Because he has some dear, dear friends there. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, whom a few months ago he raised from the dead. You know about that story. 
he stayed with that family probably a few times when he'd go into uh, go to Jerusalem. So close there. It's like about a they call it Sabbath's journey. A couple of miles. Also at this place is where he had gone up and prayed, prayed many times, but the last time he prayed, he agonized, he sweat blood out of his body, great drops of blood anticipating the great sin bearing that he was going to do. And it was in that same place where he was arrested, Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, all in that same area. It was there that Peter pulled out a sword struck the servant's ear and then Jesus healed the man's ear. It'd be there at the Mount of Olives that Jesus would return. We wait for Him to come back. Where's He going to come back at? Right there. Let's show that. We'll show the reason why in a moment. Go to Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Says, and, and we'll come back to some earlier verses, but it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So it is at Mount Olivet. That's what Luke says in Acts. That's what Luke says in his gospel. It's consistent. So, uh, if you were to back up, you can read the story a little bit there. It says in verse 9, And after He had said these things, after the promise of the Holy Spirit that would be coming, they stay in Jerusalem until He comes. It's going to be ten more days. He's been living on earth uh, from His resurrection 40 days. They see many appearances from Him in His resurrected, glorified body. And now ten days later, He will come back, or the Holy Spirit will, and fill them. So He said these things. He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were going, behold, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while He was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. These are angels. Then also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. So there's a little more detail. You have angels coming there and they're saying, Why are you looking up? You know, as He was disappearing, probably already had disappeared now. But He went in a physical visible way and they're going wow they you would too you'd be amazed because nobody has ever seen anything like this you know you hear a levitation where somebody goes up you know a couple inches off the ground and there's some kind of trickery going there or maybe some kind of demonic power maybe but he went all the way up met in a cloud and he was gone then and they're going, wow, this is something else. I can't believe this. Did you guys see that? And they all saw it. The angel's saying, hey, get back to where you're supposed to be. 
Start praying. It's like they're going to pray 10 days, Holy Spirit's going to come, and then things are going to be shaken up like they've never been before. She's going to have the 12 apostles and the rest of the church all going out, taking the message that Jesus just told them that they're supposed to do. It's called the Great Commission. So here we are. The Mount of Olives. That's where He's going to come back. As the angel says that, just as He has left, He will come. Look in Zechariah 14.4. In the Old Testament, of all things, we get some detail there. Talking about the return of Christ to the earth in that day. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Is this literal? Yeah. Jesus was born in a literal body. He left in a literal body, glorified, and He will come back in a glorified body. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. There's where you can tell exactly where He's going to come back to. And you can tell people that. Which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives will split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. This is the return of Christ. Is it real? Yes. All Christians believe in the return of Christ in a literal, physical body. Not just some kind of a, you know, a, a spiritual essence, even though it is spiritual, some kind of a surreal event. No, it's going to be absolutely real. More real than you and I standing here today and sitting here. So, we go back to Luke. He led them out as far as Bethany. And He lifted up His hands and blessed them. So now we get to the blessing part. He's lifting up His hands. It's the offering of a blessing. Whenever someone would do that, like especially Christ here, He's offering a blessing. And it's pointing to the direction of where the blessing comes from. The source is from heaven. It's from God. Blessings always come from God. Everything that you have is all from heaven. Look in James 1.17. Believers, unbelievers alike, anything that they get comes from God. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He does not change. We've seen great change in our times. We've seen great change in the last few months. We've seen great change in the last few weeks, few days. Every day things are changing all around us. A lot of it we don't like. But you know what? The Father of lights does not change. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He's eternal. No variation. No shifting shadow. Isn't that great to know? 
We can count on Him. He doesn't change. A lot of things that change are for the good. Thanks to the Lord, we change. If we trusted in Christ, He changed our lives. He transformed us. So, He lifts up His hands, gives a blessing. Look at Ephesians 1.3. There's a lot about blessings. I like this one. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He blessed us. Every spiritual blessing you have. Did you know that? You already have it. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. We are blessed. It starts with salvation, doesn't it? Matter of fact, it goes further than when we were saved. It goes back to when we were even chosen. When were we chosen? Before the foundation of the world. That's a blessing. What better blessing could you ever have, right? I mean, that's, the, that's where it all really starts at. It starts with God. Blessed be Him, right? Who gives us every spiritual blessing. Turn to chapter 2, verse 6 of Ephesians. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're saved by grace, right? And then He says, He raised us up with Him. And we look around and we say, doesn't look like heaven to me. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Well, Colossians says the same thing. We're seated with Christ. He sits on the right hand of God, on the throne. That's how much He thinks of us. That's overwhelming. What a blessing. Can you think of a better blessing than that? But it's that's the spiritual aspect. One day physically, it will happen too. As far as God is concerned, it's already happened. It will happen, but in another sense, it has happened. We're in the kingdom of God. What a blessing. Everlasting grace, everlasting mercy, everlasting joy comes from heaven to all His people who believe. Jesus came to offer hope. He did it. And He extends every blessing blessing imaginable. Anything you can dream of? He's got it. So, grace, mercy, love, salvation, comfort, peace, joy, heaven, the Holy Spirit to live on this earth by the Holy Spirit, the life of God in our souls. 
Look at Matthew 28.20. very last book of Matthew. Verse 20, last verse of that. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ was leaving. He ascended. But what promise did He leave with them? I'll always be with you. That's one reason why the disciples can go back to Jerusalem rejoicing. Otherwise, if they didn't know that truth, they wouldn't be rejoicing. He left us. He's gone and we're still here. But He told them everything they needed to know. And He says, I'll be with you. So in ten days... Holy Spirit will come into each one of those lives with all the power that they need. We have the same Holy Spirit. All believers have had the Holy Spirit to live by. Isn't that amazing? What a promise. And that's a fulfillment of all the promises. We know we wait for Him to come back. But He reminded the disciples of all that He had brought with Him when He came to earth and whenever He came into this world, He brought it all and it was intended to assure them what He was yet to do. There's still something to do. He's coming back. He left the world, but He gave them a promise. He gives them a blessing. He departs. We know He came in love and not in anger. In love He went away. He came not as a condemning judge, did He? He came as a compassionate friend. He offered Himself to everyone. And yet, the nation of Israel refused Him as a whole. There were a few who believed Him. He had been a Savior. He's full of blessings. He has a gracious heart. And we will never find a heart more tender, more compassionate, more loving, more patient, more kind. Those are nice words, aren't they? Nobody can even come close to who He was and what He Offered. He offers us all of that. If you're a Christian, you do have all that. He's abounding in blessings, and that's what he winds up doing here in this Luke 24 last section. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. What a great Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? That's who we have as our Savior. Now, He's blessing them because He's getting ready to leave. He wants to make sure that they know what's going to go on. What they're to do. While He was blessing them, right in the midst of it, as He's blessing them, He starts going up. 
I don't know if they're really too surprised anymore, though. They keep seeing his resurrected body. They weren't ready for him before to do that. He does 40 days with them. And he taught them everything they needed to know. Starts ascending, getting carried into heaven. The full meaning of these words ascended and going into heaven. Uh, honestly, I, I can't comprehend it. It's just like the resurrection. I can't really comprehend that to the full meaning of it. I believe it. A lot of people have that as a stumbling block. They can't come to Christ because they can't believe that He resurrected. It's the heart of the Gospel though, isn't it? You have to believe in the resurrection if you're a Christian. If you don't, you're not a Christian. It's as simple as that. Isn't that as about as direct as you can be? There's a lot of things you have to believe. The death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the second coming. That you're a sinner. And you're in the need of Christ because you can't do anything to please Him. You are lost and you're condemned to hell. Because you're such a wicked, evil sinner. You say, how can you say that, Dennis? Well, the more you read the Bible, the more you see how evil and wicked that not only this world becomes, it'll wax worse, the Bible says. How can it? It will. Then we start seeing it on our own selves. How we need a Savior because you see that you have nothing to offer God that is any good. It's His Son that the Father is pleased in. And if you're in Christ, then He's pleased in you. And you have all those blessings that I was talking about. His tender, compassionate love that He has for us. So, no theologian actually can really answer the question about the exact residence of Christ and what exactly He's doing. There's a lot of things we know. He's interceding for us. and That's important, isn't it? He ever lives to make intercession. He's a great high priest. After He said these things, He's lifted up. They're looking... And in fact, they're gazing intently. What does that mean? To gaze intently. <laughs> it means to... Whoa. I mean, they're really checking out. Nothing else they really want to look at and they get interrupted by an angel. <laughs> well, that's not too bad either. <laughs> what a day that must have been. <laughs> Went into uh, the clouds... A cloud comes up and receives him right out of their sight. Can't see him anymore. They watched him go, physically, literally. He took on glorified manhood, which is what he's been doing. Goes straight to heaven. That's where he had come from 30 years ago. And he took on a completely different dimension than time and space. Totally out of this world. Nobody else can go there except 
through Jesus Christ. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the truth. I'm the vine, right? I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The disciples even ask, where are you going and how can we get there? You're right. It's only through Him. He said, that's what He said. I'm the way, the truth, the life. That's narrow to the standards of the world today. Yeah, it is. Jesus is very narrow, isn't He? He said the way is narrow. And few there be that find it. You only find it through His Word, His Spirit. He makes your desire Him. Because you realize there's nothing here that really offers me anything. Sure, we have the things that are necessary for us to live here. But ultimately, where do we want to go? Home. Ultimately, that's where we go. We look to that day. This ascension is kind of like a preview of the rapture. In the Greek, harpazo, or in the Latin, rapio. Some people say, oh, the rapture is not in the Bible. Not in that particular English word. And if you had a Latin Vulgate, it would say rapio, from which we get rapture. In this case, harpazo is the word, and it means to be taken away. Uh, he ascended. We will be raptured to be caught up to be seized, to be snatched away, to get a new body. All those who died will go first, and all those who live in Christ will be caught up. Their bodies will be translated, the old fleshly bodies, and be turned into glorified bodies. So that's a preview of that, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3. I like that. Philippians 3 talks about a transformed body. What I hope we have. Verse 20 says, For we are, uh, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our ultimate citizenship from which also we eagerly wait. That means to stretch out your neck. You eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion, look at that, the exertion of His power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. There's the Lord of Lords and the Kings of Kings. There is the power, the authority. It's been vested in Him. And that's what will happen to us. Because of His great power, He will translate us, transform us, change us into His image physically. We are being changed now into the image of Christ. We will be changed into the image of Christ's body. 
glorification. We talk about that a lot, don't we? It's because you have something to shoot for. You have a goal. When you're in a race, if you don't have anything to shoot for, you just run to be running, but you're in a race, you want to win it, don't you? You want to get to the finish line first. Well, in this case, for Christians, it's a dead heat. We all get there. You know what? It's an amazing thing. We receive a body like unto His glorious body. Acts 1, 9-11, which we read earlier. I want to read that again now. After He said these things, when He says, you take the Gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. After that, He was lifted up. They're looking on. A cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up, ascended, from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He will come back in that glorious body. A day is coming. Jesus will return from heaven in like manner. He's blessing the people as He's getting ready to go here. He's going When He comes back, He's going to gather His saints together. He's going to restore all things. For that day we wait, we long, we pray for. Here's the outline of it. We say, all of this is a little bit too much for me today, Dennis. Well, all for you that are saying that, here you go, catch this, if you don't get anything else, you can get this. Three points. Jesus Christ came to die. He was born to die on the cross for our sins, right? Number one. Number two, Christ, after He died, ascended into heaven, and He is ever living to intercede for us. He came, He brought the truth. He ascended to heaven. And there, one of the things that He's doing, it really means a lot to us, He's praying for us. And that's why, in the very end, we're not going to lose our salvation because He has done the work on the cross and He continues to intercede And all this work started before the foundation of the world. We can't lose. Even when we fail Him and sin, He's there interceding for us. When we don't even have the words, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. How can we lose? We don't even know what to pray for. You ever been there? Say yes. Because I'm there all the time. I don't know how to pray for it. It's like, Lord, you got it. You know what I mean. And he converts it into a language that is understood by God in a way that we can't even understand. But he does. So what do you have? Christ dying on the cross, 
resurrecting, of course, that's all of you know, his life. And then his life in heaven interceding. And then number three, Christ coming back again. Did we get the three points? Here on earth, up to heaven, coming back. Pretty simple. Matter of fact, I think that's a test for the kids. Later this afternoon, I want you parents to ask what those three are. And it might be way too simple for them. And then they can start filling in what's in between there. But if you get that, getting the idea of what Christ is all about, the whole Bible is about Him. He's threaded through there from Genesis to Revelation. Three great objects, though, that we just got there. He just left, went up to heaven. We've had pictures of that before. Go to Genesis 5.24. have a guy by the name of Enoch. Enoch's a godly man. In 5.21, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and had other sons and daughters. After he was 65, he had Methuselah and others. So he lived to be how old? Looks like 365 years. According to my calculation to a lot of the other numbers, this is a short lifetime. 365. God's saying, that's enough, Enoch. Come on up with me. And you keep reading there. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, just in case my math is wrong, which often it is. It was right there. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Is there anything more about that? That's it. He's, he walked with God. That's what he did all of his life. And then God said, I love Enoch so much. I want him right now. It's a great picture of the rapture. It's a great picture of the ascension of Christ. So it goes right up to heaven. Well, that's not the only time that happened. Go to 2 Kings. It's unusual. It's not the norm. And just in case you think you have enough faith... You're going to try to work up to that. I just want to go up like Enoch and this other guy by the name of Elijah. And if I have enough faith, that can happen, right? Well, in God's timing, it will happen, but it'll be in His time. Second, Second Kings. Did I say Second Kings? Chapter 2, 11 and 12. This has to be kind of a favorite too. They have Elisha and Elijah together and let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. In verse 10, he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, (laughs) when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. This is quite grand here. Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, 
Like father, like father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of Jordan. And anyway, you see there that there was another one taken. We've had any, we've had Elijah. Pretty amazing. This is not some kind of fable, just a legend. This is true. And you can look at Jesus. He ascended. The other ones were taken. You know what? Whenever He was taken up into heaven, Christ intercedes. That means He's a priest. A priest intercedes for the people. His sacrifice that He had was a priest like a priest. He obtained daily supplies of mercy and grace for them. It's the grand secret of the perseverance of the saints. As He sits at the right hand of God, He is the highest, most exalted person and place that God could ever give. He sat down at the right hand of God. A priest, when his work was done, would do what? He would sit down. A priest couldn't sit down though. His work was not done. It was ever going until the great high priest came and finished the work. All the sacrifices in the temple or in the tabernacle were just pictures. Pictures of what was to come. The reality, the substance is Christ and His sacrifice crucified on the cross for our sins. He sat down because whenever He entered into heavens, He sat down. The work was done. Matter of fact, on the cross, He said what? It is finished. That work was done. There's no other work that can be done to save your souls. You can't add to it. He did it. Because nobody else could. He was given a name. Philippians says in chapter 2, which is above every name. The name is what? Lord. His name is Lord. And that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of lives. He's our Lord, those who believe. He was declared to be the name above every name. He is far above all rule, all power, all authority, all dominion. He's above it all. Ephesians 1. It's what happened whenever He ascended into the heavens. The cross made it possible. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension. And then Ephesians 1, starting at verse 20, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. He's the head of the church. The head has to have a body. The head is in heaven. The body right now is on earth. And that's how He works right now. He's working through His body with the power of the Spirit. That's the kind of power that God has as the church has marched on for 2,000 years. Two millennium already. That's amazing! It continues. It doesn't stop and it won't. The gates of Hades shall not. Shall not stop the church. It's His body. The body is not to be spastic. It's to obey the commands that comes from the head into the body. So... What a position that he has while he is in heaven because of his work. We go back to Luke 24. We're nearing the end of this particular gospel. Fifty-one says he parted from heaven and was carried up into heaven. The great high priest interceding for us, by the way, it says in Hebrews, that he's the great high priest in 725. It says that he ever liveth, he lives now to make intercession for the saints. Like the priest did, they would go out and pronounce a blessing. The day of atonement, they would go, that's the once a year deal, go into the Holy of Holies and then come out and their sac- uh, their, uh, that offering that was made was then now pronounced as they came out and they get a blessing because of that. Well, here we have now the apostles saying, and they, after worshiping Him, they're they're praising Him. They are worshiping Him. By the way, Luke uses this word worship for the first time in his gospel. Now that's what life is about. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do we glorify Him? By worshiping. What is worship? It's recognizing who He is and giving Him praise every day, every moment of your life your lifestyle, your living is to worship Him. And then we come together like they were together in a sitting with a congregation worshiping. Isn't it powerful when God's people come together? We're to worship Him every moment. But then when we come together, it's, it's like special. Isn't even more so. It's multiplied. We see the joy of others. Worship is important. You are commanded to worship God. You are commanded to meet together with God's people. 
because that is what God tells us to do. And then He tells us to disciple others, to give them truth about who He is and grow them up in the Lord as you are growing up in the Lord. They're worshiping. And so Luke holds back until this time right here, this word for worship. This is a crescendo that is right at the last section, the last couple of verses that we're dealing here. It's a crescendo of pure worship coming from these apostles. They had a dominating command their whole life. What does it say in the Old Testament? To love the Lord your God with all what? With all your heart, mind, soul, strength. That is found in one of the greatest commands. That's what the first table, the first part of the law is about. Loving God and not having anything before Him. Anything. Any person. Whatever it is. Hobby or what have you. I don't care what it is. Any good thing. If it ever comes in place of who He is, you've got a sin problem. The apostles knew this and they give this worship in a way that they haven't done it before. This is affirming that Jesus is God to these Jews. They know it. They can't be contained with this worship. They see Him go up in heaven. The angels say, hey, He's going to come back to the same place. Now, get to pray. They're worshiping God and they're going back to Jerusalem. Hey, here's the deal. Here's the difference. There is a personal worship which you are supposed to do all week. Here's the deal. What if only Peter had seen this ascension? It would have been great for Peter, but what about the apostles? They would have missed that. And it's like, Peter's going to go back and he's probably going to run as fast as he can and tell them. They go, where, where? They're looking up and they miss it. That's what happens when you miss a divine appointment with God and His people. What do you think of that? Is that true? Is that just my interpretation? What does that mean? It means that God is there and you missed Him today. That's how important it is to come together with God's people because that kind of worship exceeds even the personal worship. That's why He commanded it to continue on and then to you know keep, keep preaching the Word. It's important. Worship is real, really important. And they all got to see it. And that joy multiplied there. And of course, they go back to Jerusalem. But it's not until ten days they have to restrain themselves. Ten days later with the Holy Spirit, now they can do it. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit as a believer. Imagine. That's why Jesus said, you will do greater things than I have done. Because they were able to go not only in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Jesus did all that, but to the uttermost parts of the earth, they took it out in a way that was multiplied. 
2,000 saved, 3,000 saved, 1,000 saved, and they're all doing what? They're worshiping together at the porticos of Solomon. There's little rooms all the way around in that temple. And that's where they met every day. But why are they worshiping? Because they understand. They understand fully what this message is now. Remember back a few weeks ago, they didn't understand. Even when He resurrected, they believed it, but they didn't believe it. And then He appears before them and they say, it's a ghost! Just like us. We are so weak. But you know what? They didn't get it then. They didn't get that He came back to die. He came back to suffer even before that. And to die and then to resurrect. They didn't get it, did they? Was it in all the Scriptures? Yes. Countless ones. And He went over all that. They started finally getting that when they saw that He ate with them. He ate. He ate fish with them. Or whatever they would have. It's real. They were getting it. They got it. The reason you can worship God is because John 4 says we are to worship. That's the most important thing we can do. It's cheap in a man. Worship. They can worship in spirit and in truth. If we worship here without Scripture, without talking about it, and we just say it feels good to worship the Spirit of God and the Word of God go together. The Holy Spirit is amongst us. And He helps us to understand the truth. Does that make sense? Worship, Spirit, truth. If we don't have the truth, we can't worship right. Or if we have the truth and we ignore it, and we worship in a different way that's prescribed in the Scripture, it's idolatry. So we have to worship in spirit and what is in truth, what Christ has done here. He's already told them that they are to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins in His name to all the nations. You are witnesses of these things. You go and proclaim it to them, discipling them, training them up, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot there, isn't there? That's what we do at worship. Folks, this is interesting because this came from a bunch of weak (laughs) disciples. You remember them? They couldn't believe this. Things were made plain. Now they have truth. They know it. They understood it. They possessed absolute clear knowledge of what had just gone on all the time of Christ and now with this resurrection and everything. It was an unmingled joy that they have. It says after they, after worshiping Him, return to Jerusalem, which He had already told them to do. That's called obedience. They could have left for Galilee. What did He say? Jerusalem first. The Holy Spirit comes. Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, extend on out. They return to Jerusalem with great joy. 
So you understand the truth, now you can worship God. You know what? Weak faith means inconsistent practice. Do you really believe Jesus? Then your practice will line up with what you truly believe. God's children enjoy so little peace. God's children really don't have that enjoyment that they should have. They're scared. They don't have peace. They don't have comfort. When you dig down into the hidden treasures of the very Word of God and let Him speak, do you know the joy that starts coming out? And that's how you can continually praise God and bless God. They went from the depths of fear. It's a ghost! Do they believed Him. They had no more doubt. But during the week of the Passion, they were hiding out, weren't they? After Jesus died, where did they go? They had nowhere to be seen, hiding out. And here we are at a monumental moment. The Ascension. And Jesus just left. What are we going to do now? No, no, no. They don't have that attitude at all. They know what Jesus had told them. They just saw what happened. They get a command. They do it. That is believing Jesus. That just say, okay, I believe it. I'm going to do it. That is faith. If you say, I believe it, and you don't do it, that's not faith. What is it? Sin. Disobedience. Doing what you know to be right. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. And they are now ready to preach the Gospel whenever the Holy Spirit comes. They're worshiping. And so, these are Jews that thought they knew how to worship before. They really now know how to worship God as they obey that very first commandment. Quite an affirmation. Their praise cannot be contained. Nobody's going to stop them from preaching this and praising God. They're in the temple daily until finally they're going to have to start meeting at homes because they are not too welcome in the temple as time goes on. But when it first started, that was the meeting place they'd always gone to. You know how this book started? Early on, you see somebody worshiping God. You see Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, who was a priest. It was his turn. You also see a a man by the name of Simeon. He's in the temple daily, praising God. You also see a, a woman by the name of Anna. She's daily in the temple, praising God. Praising God. What better thing can you do? That's worship. So, here it is. The book of Luke now hits its apex in where people are supposed to be doing this. They were continually in the temple praising God. Christ is our temple.
What's the significance of the ascension? We wrap this up real quickly. I won't even spend a minute on it. You ready? Number one. I've got ten of them. Rapid fire. Here we go. One. The work of redemption is done. Number two. The end of His limitation. It came in a human body. He's now in a glorified body. The end of His... It's also dealing with exaltation. Philippians 2, His Lord. The sending of the Holy Spirit. He has to go, He said, before the Holy Spirit can come here and enter them. He's also preparing for us a heavenly home. I go to prepare a place for you. What a place that's going to be. He's been building on it for 2,000 years. Can you imagine that room that's going to be yours? Headship over the church today through eternity. Triumph over Satan. He beats all of his works. A high priestly work ever lives to make intercession. And a guarantee of the second coming. And for us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit just like they did to go out and preach the Gospel to anyone. Repentance is to be proclaimed for forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, what a great God. Thank You for giving us the book of Luke. Who is the one who gave us the story of the ascension. What a marvelous, majestic thought it is. He's the King. He rules over all the universe. And we could say, who are we? that He would take pleasure in us. Save us from our sins and put us in Christ and knowing that the best is yet to come. In the meantime, help us to be obedient to Your truth and living it out and giving it out. Lord, great God, we end with a blessing. It's a blessing that we all need. We know that You're among us. And Your Word says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall
Because we don't have a journal. So how many trials do you guys pay?